Today we're going to be back in the book of Luke. I hope that you have your Bibles with us, with you, and uh, we're going to be in chapter 24. You can go ahead and turn there if you'd like to. I know that we've just come out of the Easter season, and we've celebrated Easter Resurrection Sunday last week, and um, for that, you know, we have uh, a lot of people that uh, would think, well, the story might be over. I mean, we've been going through the gospel of Luke, Brother Joy, and so we've got all the way up to the resurrection, so is the story over or is there more? Well, the story continues on. In fact, I would dare to say that if you're if you're willing to uh, stick with us through the remainder of this year, say, I'm looking for long-term members. You know, we need you to stick with us for the rest of the year. Uh, you're you're going to find out that really the story is just getting started. Like this is really where it begins to pick up. Whenever we finish up the book of Luke in the next uh, week or two, we're going to go right on over to the very next book that Luke wrote. And so we're going to keep the authors, but we're going to go to a different book. What is the other book in the Bible that Luke wrote? Acts. We're going over to the book of Acts, and we're going to find out what are the acts of the apostles, and we're going to study through that book. And you're you're going to be uh, you, you'll be intrigued. I promise you. That's that's some big stuff. It's some deep stuff. But I promise you that that you will uh, enjoy it. So we hope that you'll keep coming with us and go ahead and start reading over in the book of Acts, and uh, it'll do you some good. So where we have left off, we'll pick right up. We 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 picked up from the resurrection, and where we're at now, we know that Jesus has been. Uh, crucified, and the shock of what happened uh, to Jesus for the disciples is very fresh on their mind. There's no way that they can just get over that. Uh, you have to remember that the city is still overflowing with people who came to celebrate the Passover, and in the middle of that celebration, everything that would happen to Jesus has taken place. Now, just because we are seven days later here at church doesn't mean that our story is seven days later. In fact, the story that we're going to pick up on in Luke 24 is the same resurrection day that we celebrated last week. They're still on the resurrection day, like the full 24-hour period. They're still there. And so what, what we're coming to up to this point in chapter 24, we know that it's been three days since Jesus has been crucified, and most of Jesus' disciples are they're very unsure of where to go or what to do next. They don't really know what to do. But here in Luke's account of what happened, we read of two men who are walking to Jerusalem, walking from Jerusalem to a little village that it, that's called Emmaus. And this little village is about seven miles away. So they've got about a two-hour, roughly a two-hour uh, trip ahead of them. They're going to walk for about two hours. And they're walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And we can only imagine what's going through their minds. You, If you put it into your, into your way of thinking, and you begin to think, well, what, what's happened? What is going on? Uh, and you're on this road traveling, and you're, you're walking away from Jerusalem where all of that has taken place, and you are headed home. What is the conversation like? What is going through your mind? What are you talking about? And that's kind of what's happening here. So let's just jump in. We're going to begin in verse number 13, and we're going to start reading this story, uh, Luke 24, verse 13. That very day, talking about the resurrection day, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. Now, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. 
So we know that there are two of Jesus' followers here walking back to their home after the Passover. And they're, as they're walking, they're talking about all the things that have, that have happened, all of the events. Now, we can imagine what all that they are talking about. There's no doubt the freshest thing on their mind is that Jesus is dead, right? Like he's been crucified. They've never in their life seen anyone beaten and whipped and hung on a cross quite like that before, especially nobody that they loved and, and revered as much as Jesus. Maybe they're, they're talking about what happened in, in the week that led up to the crucifixion, where as soon as Jesus goes into Jerusalem, he goes straight to the temple, and he begins throwing people out of the temple, the money changers, the people that were the crooks of the, of the church that day. Maybe they're talking about that. Maybe they're talking about, well, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Maybe they're talking about the people that were crying out Hosanna, and now they were crying out crucify Jesus. All of these things, and maybe even they would refer back to well, Jesus shared the supper with his disciples, right? These two men, they were not at that supper. These are just some other followers. And all of these stories, they're still very fresh, very real to them. And now Jesus is dead, and at least that's what they thought. And so all of a sudden, Jesus comes near to them, and he begins to talk to them. But notice what it says there in verse number 16. Their eyes were kept from recognizing him. The Lord kind of kind of shadowed their eyes, shadowed their, their vision, dimmed their vision, so to speak, so that they could not see him for who he really was. In verse number 17, it says that Jesus said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still and they were sad. And one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these, these, in these days? Like, everybody in Jerusalem knows this, man. Are you the only one who would happen to be here and not know what we're talking about? And he, talking about Jesus, said to them, verse 19, what things? And so Jesus is just trying to pull from their, from their big storage of stories He's wanting to know, what are you talking about? I want you to tell me. And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and worked before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death, and they crucified him, but he, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us, they went to the tomb and they found it just as the women said, but they did not see him. In other words, they didn't see Jesus. Now, Jesus asks this question, what are you guys talking about? And Luke gives us the name of one of the travelers, Cleopas. I don't know why we have the name of Cleopas. All I can say is that I believe Cleopas was the guy that told Luke this story. I think Cleopas told this story every chance he got. Would you? If you had met Jesus on the road to Emmaus, and after you found out that it was the Christ, the Son of the living God, the one that was in your house, after all this happened, would you not say, hey, I mean, y'all can talk all you want to about him showing up and looking at y'all. This guy walked with us. He walked with us for seven miles. I even had supper with him, and on and on and on. Cleopas is telling uh, this story here. And so this guy, Cleopas, he looks at this stranger, and he's like, man, where have you been? 
for the last few days. I mean, have you not heard about this? And it's almost as though Cleopas suggests that this man is not a Jewish traveler. He might be somebody else, but surely he hasn't been in, in, in Jerusalem through the Passover because if you had been, you clearly would have heard all about Jesus. Cleopas begins to tell the story to this stranger concerning Jesus. And I want you to notice what Cleopas says in verse number 20. Who does he blame the, the death of Jesus on? He doesn't blame it on the Roman soldiers. He blames it on the chief priests and the rulers, their chief priests and rulers. Cleopas, here he is. You have Cleopas, he's saying, these are the guys that put Jesus up to death, not the Roman soldiers. The Roman soldiers, they're only doing what they're commanded to do. Cleopas saw it for what it was. He recognized that the Jewish leaders are the ones who were at the helm of the plot of killing Jesus. Verse 21 gives us a good idea of what was going on in the disciples' minds. He said this, like we've already been discussing, we had hoped, we hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. For Jesus' followers, they felt the same way as many of the other people felt. They were the same exact way. There's this powerful man that we're following. He's working miracles that we've never seen done before. Who else better is there who would be the king of Israel? Who else better is there who would overthrow Rome? And Jesus would bring deliverance like everybody hoped. It just wasn't the way they thought it would be. Jesus was going to bring he was going to bring deliverance, but, is it what, but it wasn't going to be from the government or an earthly power. Jesus would be the leader of a great invasion, but he wouldn't come in and invade Jerusalem. He wouldn't invade Rome. Jesus' plan was to invade the human heart. But they couldn't see it. They didn't understand it. Cleopas continues, he said, and beside all of this, this is the third day since all of that happened. And so Jesus, here he is. That Remember, Luke 24, verse number 1, uh, this is the very beginning of the chapter that we're in. It says that Jesus' from, resurrection from the grave actually happened on the first day of the week, early at dawn. You have to remember, when Jesus was laid in the tomb, the Sabbath day was the next day, and they could not go in and anoint the body because they couldn't do any work on the Sabbath day. I believe that Mary, before she went, or whenever she went to the tomb on that resurrection morning, I believe that as soon as the clock hit okay to where she could go, as soon as it was no more Sabbath day and it was the next day of the week, I believe she got up and she went straight to the tomb so that she could take care of her Savior's body. And whenever she gets there, there's nobody there. Jesus rose from the grave early in the morning, and here we have a story of Cleopas and his companion walking down the road late in the evening. It is very possible that Jesus has been risen from the grave at least 12 hours by now. He could have been walking around showing himself, presenting himself to different people along the way. Cleopas even goes on to tell of the women who were among them in their company and how that they had gone to the tomb and they saw the empty tomb. Cleopas doesn't understand it. He don't know how a dead man comes out of a grave and no longer he's there. So who stole the body? This is the first thing that comes up. Who is it that has taken the body? He's just telling the story as he's heard it. He don't really know. And this is what Cleopas ends with. They found the tomb empty, but they did not find Jesus. So in other words, they probably would have believed had they had seen Jesus. Does that make sense? But since we didn't see him, we can't very well say that Jesus is risen, that he's alive, or that someone has stolen the body. Then Jesus speaks. I want you to pay attention to this. Look at it with, in verse 25 with me. Look at it. And Jesus 
I know it doesn't say Jesus, it says he, but I keep saying Jesus. Jesus said to them, Oh, foolish ones. Now, how would you like to be walking down the road with a stranger that just walks up to you and calls you a fool? What do you mean, fool? Like, what? I want you to pay close attention to this. Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer? This is a stranger. They don't even know this dude. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And pay attention to this, verse 27. I get emotional when I read this scripture uh, because this is, this is awesome to me. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Man, Jesus says, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. Now, why would Jesus say something like this to these disciples? They're troubled. They're worried. Why respond to them this way? You see, Jesus is not condemning them because they are wicked men. That's not Jesus' approach here at all. You need to understand that Jesus is condemning their slowness of understanding and belief. Jesus says, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. Was Christ not supposed to suffer all of these things? All of the scriptures that you have, you have the prophets, you have the law, you have all of these things, you know these things. The book is right here in front of you, yet you will not read it and you will not understand it. Why is it that you can't understand? I wish Jesus would come today and look at us and tell us the same thing. Oh, foolish ones, and so slow of heart to understand and believe. Guys, it is not God's fault that you do not understand the Word of God. With all of the tools, all of the understanding that we have today, all of the translations that we have of the Scripture today, all of the understanding of the Hebrew and the Greek and all of these other languages that we have today, and people are still like, boy, I just can't read the Bible, I don't understand it. Jesus never looked at these disciples and said, hey, I understand the King James Version's hard to read. He didn't say, well, I, I get it. The he Hebrew's hard to comprehend. Jesus didn't look at him and say, well, I know sometimes, you know, Moses kind of got the law a little bit. He got a little bit thick and it's hard to cipher through. No, Jesus says, you're foolish because you don't understand it. The foolishness comes in to where, not to where you would say that you are a wicked person or that God is trying, Jesus is trying to throw these men under the bus. He's saying you need to pay attention to it and understand it. In other words, spend some time in it. Don't just read the Bible when Brother Joey opens it on Sunday or when they open it on Wednesday. Don't just read the Bible then. Put it inside of you. Make it a part of who you are so you can read it and understand it so that you comprehend it. Jesus begins to point out all of these things and how that the prophets, they have spoken to you and, they, and you've read everything that's been said about Jesus. Not only this, but...
But the disciples have been around Jesus. They have witnessed the miracles of Jesus and the wonders of his ministry. And yet they're unwilling to believe. They heard the testimony from the women. This came from Cleopas's mouth. We heard the woman tell us that they went to the grave and they found it empty. And these women said that there was an angel that spoke to them. And yet they still were hard and unwilling to believe it. They said Jesus is risen. Not only that, but there were some other of the disciples that ran to the tomb. You had Peter and you had John and they run to the tomb. They come back to the same crowd of men that Cleopas is sitting around and they said, guys, he's not there. And Jesus says, and yet you still won't believe. What would it take? What would it take? You see, Jesus is calling them out for their unwillingness to believe. And this is what Jesus says. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer all of these things? Now, notice what he does next in verse number 27. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus begins to interpret to them all the things that were said about himself. Can you imagine how awesome that would have been? Can you imagine just on that? I mean, this is a seven-mile walk couple of hours long, how fast, bam, it went. It was gone. I mean, this guy is sitting here unfolding all of these things. And you think back on Jesus. When Jesus was in his ministry, he is walking around in Jerusalem. He's going into the temples. He is teaching and he is preaching. And people are saying, we have never heard anyone explain the scripture like this before. Now in his resurrected body, when it's all been fulfilled, Jesus goes all the way back to Moses and says, now let me explain this to you again, class. Now, I've had a lot of good professors in my educational history, but I guarantee you I've never had a class quite like what Jesus would have taught. And whenever, and listen, this is, this is exciting. This is an exciting thing for me. There is coming a day whenever he is going to split the eastern skies and he's going to come get his church. That day is going to happen. Whether you're ready or not, I'm just saying you need to be ready to giddy up if you're ready. To meet Jesus, you need to be ready because we're going to go. And there, the Bible says that we will be forever with Him. Forever with Him. All of the questions that I've ever had about the Bible, Jesus is going to be able to explain. Can you imagine being under the tutelage of the expositor, Jesus Christ Himself? And for him to be able to just open the scriptures and begin to explain. And as he opens those scriptures, every little detail that was ever there that you may have overlooked, that you didn't understand, that you didn't quite comprehend. And Jesus says, here it is. And he opens up the clouds of heaven as if it was a movie screen. And you sit there and just watch it unfold. You see, that too can happen to you if you know Jesus as Lord and Savior. You'll be able to ask him all the questions and he'll be able to answer every one of them. But if you don't know him, that won't be able to happen for you. Verse 28, they drew near to the village to which they were going and he, Jesus, acted like he was going to go farther. Verse 29, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it's toward evening and the day is now far spent. And he went in to stay with them. And he was at the table with him and paid close attention to this. He took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and gave it to him. Does this sound like something familiar? Verse 31, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. 
And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while we talked with him to talk to us on the road while he opened up the scriptures and they rose that same hour. Remember, it's too dark to keep walking. Remember that? Hey, stay with us this evening. They got up that same hour and returned back to Jerusalem. They just walked seven miles to get home and they are so lit up that they're going to go back. We're going back to Jerusalem and it says they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying the Lord. Now, this is not Cleopas coming in and saying this. They walked in and whenever Cleopas and his partner walks in, the other ones are gathered there saying, the Lord has risen indeed and appeared to Simon. So Peter's already seen him. And Cleopas comes in and then he said, told them what had happened on the road to Emmaus. And verse 35 goes on to say, and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Again, this gets to be late in the evening and Cleopas and his friend invites them to come in, invites Jesus to come in with them. And this is where things really begin to get real in the story. Cleopas invites Jesus to stay the night, not knowing that it was Jesus, of course. This was a common custom in their day because uh, they didn't have modern transportation like we do. They don't have cars and uh, fast fast transportation. They walk. And because there are not hotels on every corner, there's no place to stay. So it was customary for people that lived there to invite others to stay with them so that they could rest through the night, have some supper, get up in the morning, and then they would be on their way. This is what they did for Jesus. They were doing what Jesus had told them to practice doing, be a good neighbor. And this is what they were doing. Notice what Jesus does to reveal himself. He takes them to the table of grace. (laughs) This is where he breaks bread for them. He takes them to this table. And I want you to check it out. Cleopas and his friends, they are not at the table with all the other disciples on the night of the Lord's Supper. These guys are not there. That supper was specifically set aside for Jesus and his 12 followers that he chose to be his apostles. But here, Jesus does the same thing with them that he did on the night of the Passover supper. Verse number 30, notice this. He took bread and he blessed it. Jesus took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Now, it was customary in those days that the master of the house would always take the bread and break it. Is Jesus the master of this house? Then why does Jesus step up and break the bread? If you read the customs of the Jewish people and the things that they would normally do, what was customary is that the master of the family would break the bread. Jesus takes his rightful role as the master of this family. These disciples were part of his family. Jesus breaks the bread and he begins to feed his family. He breaks the bread. It's clear to us that whoever, it doesn't make any difference who it is, whoever sits at the Lord's table will indeed be fed by the master. He is the one who will rise and bless the bread. He is the one who will break the bread. He is the one who will offer the bread. And those who allow Christ to take up residence in their hearts and in their lives, they will be fed by the Lord. And this feeding that the Lord administers does not only give strength to the body, but it enlightens the soul so that you would be able to see what it could not see before. This is what the Lord does whenever He breaks the bread with His fellow believers. This is why their eyes were open, and this is why the Scripture says what it does, that once the master broke the bread, 
blessed the bread, gave the bread, their eyes were then opened. And this is the only way that your eyes will be open to see who Jesus really is. The only way that you will ever see who Jesus really is is if you are willing to sit down at the table, allow Him to come in and reside within you. Then He will break that bread. He will fellowship with you. He will commune with you. And your eyes will be open to whom He is. But it will not happen if you just want to come along and meet Jesus in passing. It's not going to happen if you want to walk down the road with Jesus on the way to your house, but you don't want to invite him in, you just let him keep on going. It's not going to happen if you just want to talk to Jesus when you come to church on Sunday morning and you just want to rely on your pastor to do it for you. You're not going to have your eyes open to who he is if you don't reside with him, break bread with him, allow him to feed you. Does that make sense? Their eyes were then open. Here's the question that I want to ask you. What is it that your eyes need to be open to? And I want to ask this question to everyone in the room. What is it that your eyes need to be open to see? What is it that you need to see today? Maybe you're here right now and you're struggling with understanding, just like Cleopas and his, his buddy were. They're, they're struggling. They, they have a hard time. They don't know what's happening. They're not real sure where they're going to go from here. They're struggling with understanding. Is that you? You see, they had a need to understand what's happened to Jesus. And Jesus came and met that need. Are you trying to make an important decision in your life? Does your eyes need to be open to that? Are you questioning and trying to understand what salvation is all about? Do you need your eyes to be opened to that? Oh, you, you're the one that has to be honest about this. Are you wondering about your walk with Jesus? Are you concerned about your walk with Jesus? Does your eyesight, does your vision, does your soul need to be enlightened to these things? You see, the best way to find answers and the best way to have your eyes open so you can see is for you to intentionally spend time with Jesus. You have to take time in prayer. You have to take time and read His Word. You have to fill your mind with the things of Christ rather than filling your mind with the things of this world. You have to turn off the Insta-Snap Twitter book and start getting into Jesus' book. you got to learn how to get off of the junk out there and start getting into here, into His Word, and start putting that inside of you. If you want to have an understanding of the deeper things of Christ, you have to start putting yourself there with Jesus, walking with Him, communing with Him, sitting with Him, understanding that He is the one who came to seek and save the lost. You have to come to know Him. After they saw Jesus, their, their eyes are open and, and these guys are just like kicking themselves. They're like, for seven miles, we could have known it was Him. Seven miles, two hours, Cleopas, we could have known that it was Jesus. They're kicking themselves and they're thinking, why didn't we notice Him sooner? How is it that we couldn't recognize Him? Have any of you ever done that? You just, you just can't see something? Can't see it? Honestly, how many of you guys, and some of y'all made fun of all this and laughed at it on Facebook, but how many of you guys really have walked up to the, walked up to the refrigerator, men, you guys, because I'm, I'm the guy that does this. You open the refrigerator, 
and you're doing this. Looking for mayonnaise. Looking for whatever it is you're looking for. And it's right there. And all you want to do is like, any of y'all know where the mayonnaise is? And they're like, it's in the icebox. No, it ain't. Y'all need to learn how to start putting that stuff back where it goes. And your wife comes in and it's right there. If it was a snake, grandma says, if it was a snake, it'd bit you. Right? But 200 miles or 200 yards away, you can see a deer standing out there in the field. Y'all know what I mean? I asked Katrina that and she said, well, you know, God made y'all to be hunters, not mayonnaise finders. You know, and that's, that, that's the truth. I think there's a lot of truth to that. But you know, the, the truth is, is that us guys, we just really want y'all close by us. That's why we call y'all in there to come find. That's really why we do that. You see, the fact is, is that you just can't see it until you can see it. That's just that easy. I can't tell you how many times I've read over certain passages of Scripture, and then all of a sudden, it's like it just leaps off the page. Back in the 80s, if you were good, if you were a child of the 80s, or if you came through the 90s, do you guys remember those 3D pictures that we would get and we would hang on the wall and and you would sit there and stare at them, and then all of a sudden, this picture would just, this image would come up off the page, and you would see it. That's what the Scriptures do to you when you begin to read it. Just, you'll have these passages that you will have read hundreds of times, it seems like, and then all of a sudden, you'll go back to it, and you'll read it, and God will just lift this up off the page, and you're like, where has that been? Where has that been all this time? It's amazing how often we can go to church, and we can hear the preacher tell about Jesus, but we never really see Jesus until one day, until one day, we finally realize, man, that Jesus set the table just for me today, just for me. And that's what Jesus did on the road to Emmaus. He set that road just for them. A little old town out there, if you look for where Emmaus is today, nobody can tell you. The only reason we know that it's seven miles away is because Luke wrote it down. There's no artifacts to show us where Emmaus is. There's no history books for you to write down and say that this is what Emmaus was and this is who the governor was or all of that stuff. We don't even know about it. God goes to the littlest things that most folks are going to forget about. And there he goes, right there, and he sets the table for little old you. You go into church day after day after day or Sunday after Sunday and preacher preaches People sing and there's teachers teaching and all these things. But only until Jesus sets that table and then he calls you. That, to me, that is an expression of the love of the master. And he shows you just how much he cares for you. How much he cares for his people. In closing, as our musicians come, I can't help but to wonder today, as we think about this, I... I can't help but to ask this question. Is there anyone here today who has gone to church most of your life, but you've never seen Jesus for who He really is? You've gone to church all of your life. You just keep going and going and going, and you think, well, eventually, I mean, surely something's going to happen. And you know, guys, a lot of times whenever we go to church, we get hung up in a lot of emotionalism. A whole lot of emotionalism. Well, if there's a, 
If there's a song that sounds really good and it stirs me, well, that must mean that I need to be saved. It doesn't necessarily mean that. Well, the preacher might get to preaching and he, he might get to hollering and he might get to stomping and he might whatever and it stirs something up within me. And it, Well, that must mean that I need to whatever. It doesn't always necessarily mean that. There's a lot of people that get mixed up in emotionalism and they go to church Sunday after Sunday just so that they can get a high of emotions rather than going seeking Christ. You see, guys, we come to church on Sundays in an effort to do what the Scriptures have told us to do as a New Testament church. We gather the first part of the week to worship Christ. And in the midst of that worship service, there's times when Jesus sets the table just for you. To where He can have the bread broken. The pastor, Jesus calls the pastor the one who is the sower of the seed. The one who shares the gospel, breaks the bread. And then when the bread has been broken and Christ has set the table, He opens your eyes so that you can see Him for who He is. He's not just a symbol that we hang around our neck on a little necklace, a cross. That's not who He is. He's not just a wooden cross. He's not just a story in a book. He's not just a figure in history. He's the Son of God that came to this earth to die for you so that you could have a relationship with Him, so that your sins could be forgiven, so that you could go through life without feeling guilty. That is worth it all, friends, for you to be redeemed and to know that no matter what the world thinks about you, the Master of the universe cares enough about you to set a table for you so your eyes can be open to who He is. And we've gone to church all of our lives. We keep going to church. And nine times out of ten, the reason that we go is because Grandma, Papa went, Mom and Daddy went, Aunt and Uncle went, and so we just keep going because it's tradition for us. I want you to be really, really, really honest with yourself. Don't raise your hand. Just say it to yourself in your head. Why did you really come to church today? Why did you really come to Did you come because it's Sunday? And that's what we do in the Bible Belt of the South here in America. Or did you come to church because mama made me, daddy made me. I know some of you kids, you don't have a choice. But some of you come as an adult that has a choice because this is where your mom and dad go. Or did you come because you really wanted to worship Jesus? Did you come because you really wanted to have an experience with Christ? See, guys, you can keep going through all the motions if you want to. And you can just keep going to church because that's what we do on Sunday. Or you can really say, Jesus, I want to see you for who you are. He will open up the Scriptures to you like you've never seen them before. He will reveal Himself to you. And for the first time in your life, you will know without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is God in the flesh. And He came to this earth 
save me. And whenever that resonates with you, your life will never be the same. Your life will never be the same. So I don't know where you are today. I don't know what all is going on in your life. But I do know that Jesus has set the table this morning. He set the table and He wants to open your eyes. There's going to be a day when Jesus is going to do some of the same things that He did back then. You see, because after Jesus resurrected from the grave, there were ten different times, at least ten different times between He resurrected and then He ascended back to heaven that He revered, revealed Himself or He appeared to different people. To Mary Magdalene, to the women that were on the road, some disciples that were on the road here at Emmaus, then to Peter. Then there was the time where He revealed Himself or appeared to ten of the, of the disciples, ten of the eleven. Thomas wasn't there. And then you have where all eleven were there. Thomas is there. And then you have this, the disciples that are on the shore of Galilee and Jesus cooks breakfast for them. He reveals Himself there. And then you have more than 500 disciples that Jesus revealed Himself to all at one time. They believe He was on a mountain somewhere. And then He appears to James. And then later on, after He ascended, He appears to Paul. And you see, the thing is, is that after His ascension, He does appear to Paul. Down through the years, Jesus has chosen to reveal Himself to many different people in many different ways. But what you need to know is that the next time Jesus appears, it will be in His glory. And at that time, you will not have time to make things right with Him. I don't know when that day is. I don't know when that time is going to come. But when you accept Jesus into your heart, you don't have to worry about when that's going to be. But for those of you that don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, it should be the greatest worry on your mind. Not paying your house bill. Matthew 24, 29, it says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And He will send out His angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather His elect from the four winds and from one end of heaven to the other. My hope and my prayer today is that you will see Jesus today. That you will accept Jesus as Lord of your life before He appears again. Don't let it be too late. Then, it's going to be too late if you, if you don't know Jesus at that time. 2 Corinthians 6 and 2 says, For He says in a favorable time, I listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Paul goes on to say, Behold, now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. It's now. You can sit there and say, well, Brother Joe, I, I just don't know. I don't, I don't know if I should. I don't know if I shouldn't. I don't know how I feel it. I don't know if I'm supposed to do this. I don't know if I'm supposed to do that. All right, let me break this down for you as simple as I can. 
The devil himself will never ever talk to you and say, you ought to think about getting saved. The devil is never going to run thoughts through your mind about your salvation. He's just going to run thoughts through your mind that you're okay and you don't need this. But whenever those thoughts start going through your mind, you're going to feel this tug of war start happening within you because there's the good side and there's the bad side. Paul says it's the flesh and the spirit that are tug of warring at each other. Whenever that thought comes up in your mind and he says, ah, you're okay, there's nothing to worry about. But then that other voice says, but what if? That is the spirit and the flesh tug of warring at each other. This is the Holy Spirit dealing with you, calling, and you need to listen. Brother Joe, I might not get it all right. Welcome to the club. We don't either. We don't either. But crying out to Jesus and asking Him to save your soul is the greatest thing that you will ever do in your life. So friend, today, if Jesus has revealed Himself to you during this season of your life, please acknowledge Him today. Let's pray. Father, I love You. and I just thank You for giving us this Scripture today, this, this, this message. I know without a doubt that You are revealing Yourself to people. You're showing people who You are. And that you're not just a storybook character. You're not just a person in history. You are our Savior. You're our Creator. You're our Master. You're our Lord. And Lord, there's no doubt in my mind, the way that I felt this week, there's somebody here that needed this today. They needed to see you. And I hope that in my inability, I hope that you've filled in those gaps and that you've revealed yourself to someone here today. I don't know what's needed. That's not my business. I've done what I need to do. I've done what I think you've asked me to do. So Lord, we're going to trust that you'll do the rest. So Lord, let us as believers, those of us that know Christ, Let us fall on our knees before you today cry out to you that your Holy Spirit would not be ignored today. Let us be the ones that, that would be the catalyst, so to speak, for that other person, that, that we would stand in the gap for them and we would pray and we would beg you, Father, to, that the Holy Spirit would not be ignored today. And that whoever it is that needs to see Jesus, that they'll see Him right now. In Jesus' name we ask these things.